James chapter 2, verses 13 through 16, as we continue our study, uh, the teachings of Jesus' brother. I don't know if you have brothers or sisters. I have three brothers, and uh, there's no way that I'm going to lead a a mission to tell everyone that they are God to the world. But in a sense, that's what James has done. James became one of Jesus' most useful disciples as he was leading the Jerusalem church. And it's a powerful thing to recognize that out of all the people Jesus could have picked, he picked one that was close to him, one that saw him growing up, that, that saw him as a young boy and, and as a young man and, and saw the truth of his message and, and it validated who he was. And so these are the teachings of James to us. One of the things you're going to learn about James is he doesn't mind stepping on our toes. He doesn't mind getting in our face. He's very direct. Um, he's not the type of person that uh, is going to say what you want to hear. He says what we need to hear. And so we're looking at James to help us grow. And if, you're, if you've come here today and say, well, I don't know if I believe in Christ yet. I don't know if that's where I am. Well, this is a good place for you because this will show you what it is really to be a follower of Christ. This is the level of commitment that we're called to as Christians. And so this is a good insight for any person, whether, whether you believe or you don't believe. This is very helpful to understand this is what it means to be a follower of Christ. This is what it means to give your life to Jesus, to be saved, to be his disciple. And so as we've looked through this, we started with consider it pure joy. And it was so counter our own way of doing things. Consider it pure joy when you go through all kinds of trials, because we know that that produces perseverance and perseverance produces hope. And so persevering through things that we're to consider it a good thing when we go through bad things. That's not easy to do, is it? And yet that's what James said. He said a lot of the things you go through, everything in life, if you submit it to the Lord, he can use it for your benefit. He can bless you through it. And so we want to consider it pure joy. No matter what happens this week, I want to challenge you to consider it pure joy. And then live what you learn. As we come and we gather, there's not a lot of places in life where you talk about eternal things. There's not a lot of places in life where you sit down and discuss the things that are beyond just this life. I'm thinking of this week, I was in a restaurant and I was just listening to the people, which you probably shouldn't do, but listen to the people that were next to us. And just the conversations were just about the here and now. They were about the, the very temporary And if that's all you ever consider, if that's all you ever think about is what's today and what's tomorrow, you're really missing out on what God has created for us to be and for what we're to look at and think of. And so live what you learn. Live out the principles that God teaches you. If God places something on your heart, if he motivates you in some area of your life, then go be a doer of that, not just someone who hears it merely. And then everyone matters. We talked last week that everyone matters. That God looks at every person and sees someone that he made in his image and he desires to be in relationship with. We should never treat people differently because of how much money they make or what they have or don't have, what positions they have. Everyone should be treated with equal level of respect and dignity and that we should love people the way we want to be loved. And that this is the principle that Christ gives us, that Jesus says, look, you, you should want the very best for every person in your life. You should want the very best for everyone you ever meet. And the very best for every person is that they are in a loving, deep relationship with Christ, that they have been saved, and that they are living a, as a disciple of him. And today we're going to look at faith is more than knowledge. Faith is more than knowledge. And James really hits that point to us. And I was just reflecting on this, thinking of my own life. I have a journey, you have a journey. We all have a story. Our lives are being written every day. 
And that story is unique to you, and my story is unique to me. And I was thinking about my story. I was thinking about my faith journey, how Christ brought me to himself, and how he saved me and transformed me, and is continuing to do that in my life today. And I think back to when I was a young teenager, and you can go to the next slide, that, that in that, this was the church I went to. This was my dad's church. That's actually it. And when I was uh, between the ages of 11 and 17, I sat in there, and I listened to my dad preach from the Bible, and I can remember, I can look back at that and think, wow, there are so many Sundays, all I was thinking is, when is this going to be over? (laughs) When is he going to be done talking? When can we go get lunch? When can we get out of here? And there were so many Sundays that there were such profound, wonderful truths that that were being shared. People were singing. People were sharing testimonies. Things were happening that had no effect on me whatsoever. That I sat there and just tried to keep my eyes open to get through it. And I was just bearing the Sunday school class and then bearing the worship service. And just none of it was making any impact on my life whatsoever. And for, I would say, countless numbers of Sundays did I go and participate in a service that made zero impact on my life. And I look back on that and I think, was that because of what was happening in the service or was that what was happening in my heart? What was happening in my mind? Where I was at that time? And James says that there's a dead faith, that there's a faith that's empty, that there's a faithlessness that can be in your life where the things of God make no impact in your heart whatsoever. You're not motivated to do anything for him. You're not motivated to love him more. You're not motivated to read his word. You're not motivated to pray. You have zero motivation whatsoever to do the things that are spiritual because you're dead. And when you're dead, you have no motivation. And that's where I was. And I look, and I, when I saw and I found this picture, it just took me back to that place in my journey where I recognized there were hundreds of Sundays that I was dead, and there was nothing that made any impact in my heart whatsoever and in my life. And, I, and I, we don't have time, and it's really not about me today, but there are so many things that God did in my life that woke me up. Woke me up and said, there's more. This is amazing. Mike, you need to pay attention. Mike, you need to get connected. The Spirit of God is real. The power of God is, is real. And in certain instances, and they were not easy or fun or things that I enjoyed, but God used them to say, Mike, now live out your life for me. And so I was about 17 years old when my dad left, and, and I became a youth pastor. And then God radically shifted my life. And now I'm ministering to all these students. And this is 2005, right down the road at Stetson University in DeLand. We took a group for summer camp. And I realized that when you invest your life in the things of God, and you invest your life into other people because God calls you to do that, there is a life in that that cannot be explained. There's an abundance. Now, does that mean that my life was perfect? No, it doesn't mean that at all. But what it means is I was dead and now I was alive. And there was something happening. And the evidence of that thing happening was now God was motivating me to help people. He was motivating me to want to tell other people about him. He was motivating me to live for him. And that's life. That's my journey. But my prayer this morning as I came and as I was thinking about this message is where is your journey? What is your story? Where are you in your story? 
Because I can look back and I can remember that none of the things I'm saying now would have meant nothing to me at one time in my life. And my prayer is that God would stir all of us. He would wake us up and he would give us a passion, the passion to serve him, a passion to live in obedience to him, a passion to know him more and more. And I believe that's what James is teaching us now. James is saying faith that doesn't have any works connected to it is dead faith. When you don't have anything that's re- that God is using through your life, it's dead. And that's what I believe God has to say to us. So the question this morning is, what is faith and how is it applied? If we say we have faith, what is it? And then how is it applied? How do you apply this faith that we say that we have? So let's ask God. Let's search through what he taught James to tell us today and precede it with prayer. Father God, you are worthy of our lives. You are a good God. And Lord, we come here this morning and we just want to say thank you. We want to say help. Help us, Lord. Help us to have appetites for you and your ways and not just appetites for the world. And Lord, I pray as we read these words from James, um, Lord, that they would penetrate through any kind of wall we've put up, any kind of um, defense we have that we would be open to your presence, we would open to your wisdom, open to the knowledge you want us to have, and that, Lord, whatever thing that you reveal to us, whatever it is that you show us, that we would follow through with it and do whatever you're calling us to do, that we would be obedient, full of life in our faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at James chapter 2. It was read earlier. And just to give some context to what we're going to be talking about, give some context to what James is dealing with in his time, later we're going to read the Paulian epistles. Those are the the letters written to Paul, by Paul, to the churches of different areas of his time. And one of the common themes throughout Paulian epistles is the issue of those within the church living their own lifestyle the way they want. And there was a big issue of let's continue to sin because when we sin God's grace is that much more so let's continue to do it and basically there were a lot of people within the early church that said we love this idea of Jesus because it's really a license to sin it's a license to be selfish it's a license to do whatever I want to do and I'm just saved by the cross and that's all I need to worry about he saved me I'm good to go I can live however I want And so that was an issue that both James and Paul had to deal with. They had to have tough conversations with the people of their day in the church. And so James is dealing with a group of people that don't recognize that you are saved unto good works. You are not saved by good works. And that is so crucially important that all of us recognize. We are saved unto it. We are saved to do it. We are not saved by it. And so James begins, he says here in verse 14, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but no deeds? Can such faith save them? That's a dramatic statement. That's a dramatic question James asks. He says, can you have saving faith if you don't have any works? Can you be saved and yet there's no evidence whatsoever in your life that God is within you. One of the things I've recognized in my own heart is the act of salvation. The act of salvation is to repent and believe. And repenting, I'm repenting that I'm doing it my own way. 
that I have fallen into sin, that I have resisted God. And repenting is turning from that and saying, I will no longer do that. Now I will live for the Lord. And my belief is by living for the Lord that he has set me free from sin and death. And so the two acts of repentance and belief, and when I do those two acts, this amazing miracle that happens, the Holy Spirit of God comes and lives. I become a temple. I become his home of the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit is to give me wisdom and guidance and direction and help me to be convicted of sin and to to be convicted of overlooking the needs of the people around me. And so to say that I have repented and I have believed and that the Holy Spirit lives in me and yet I am no different than I was before does not work. It doesn't work. You cannot say that I I have repented, I have believed, and I have received the Holy Spirit and yet I am not different in any way. It is impossible. And so James is trying to help them to see this. Help them to see that this isn't a get out of hell free card. What Christ did on the cross was to allow us to be part of his family. Not to use him to get what you want in some sort of negotiation. And so he goes on to say in verse 15. Suppose a brother or sister without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. And so he gives a a very practical illustration. He says, if someone comes to you and you know they have no clothes, you know they have no food, and you say, oh, I'm sorry to hear all about that. I hope everything works out for you. Good luck with that. What have you done? In a sense, in a sense, you've cursed them because you refuse to help them, right? You've recognized their need. You've recognized the issue. You know you could do something about the issue, but you choose not to do anything about the issue. What good is it then? What good was it to tell them, good luck, if you're not going to be part of the goodness that they can receive? And he's, he's bringing up this very difficult question. It's a question we all need to work through in our minds. It's a question at the very root of faith. And it becomes this. Faith, is it dead or is it alive? Faith, death versus being alive. In John chapter 3, one of the most famous chapters in the whole Bible, you know it because you've heard John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so there's before and after that, he's talking to a man named Nicodemus and he says, a man must be born again. You must be born both a physical birth and a spiritual birth. Now here here builds the question. Here builds the picture. If a child is born physically, but they do not move, they do not breathe, they do not cry, they do not make any action whatsoever, are they dead or alive? They're dead. In the same way as a spiritual birth occurs, the birth happens, and if you don't move, if you do nothing in your birth, you are dead. Spiritually. And so salvation is the act of birth, and then you are to live. And once you're alive, you're full of life. 
And the Holy Spirit is leading you and guiding you and, and all these things. And so when you receive the truth that di- Christ died on the cross, that he was dead and he rose from the grave, and that salvation comes into you, you are made alive at that moment. If you're not alive, then I don't believe you were ever truly saved. Because salvation is like an explosion. It is like an atomic bomb that happens within your soul. And it has to have effects. There will always be an effect. It cannot happen. And there not be an effect in some other area of your life. And so James is trying to help us see and help them see that this idea of faith, faith, is allowing us to receive a gift so that we can use that gift for the rest of our lives. He goes on to say this, But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there's one God. Good! Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scriptures were fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that... A person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. And so I believe you can summarize everything that was said there by James. You can summarize it by this, and this is what I would say of myself. Faith is either an act or an action. Faith is either an act or an action. I was playing a character for many, of my, many years of my life. It's funny that we wear masks now because I felt like for much of my early life, I wore the mask. And the mask was, I'm a believer. I'm a Jesus follower. I believe all these things and I'm going to live for him. And I wore a mask. And it wasn't until I was confronted by the Holy Spirit of God and God said to my heart, Mike, you need to choose who you'll serve. Choose who you will follow. Did anything happen for me to take that mask off? I think you can go to church your whole life I think you can know everything there is to know. You can have every bit of knowledge that there is to know and play an act, play a character that you create, play an act of Christianity. And it's not until that act turns into something that's genuinely in your heart, something that's genuinely in your soul, that becomes an action. See, the actions don't save you. They show that you're saved, right? The action, you don't, you, there's nothing you and I can do to save ourselves. There's nothing you and I can do to make ourselves right with God. Only Christ could do that for us. But when he did that for us, he opened a door unto action. He opened a door into investing our lives in his kingdom, to being obedient to what he has to say. And here's what I want to challenge you with this morning. Many of you have children and grandchildren. Many of you are at a place, maybe you came to Daytona area to retire. This is the, you feel you're on the last legs of this journey, of your story. What I want to encourage you with is that Abraham was 100 years old when God gave him Isaac. Nobody here is 100 years old. You may feel like you're 100 years old, but you're not 100 years old. He was 100 years old when the most important decision of his life was presented to him. 
He was 100 years old when the greatest test of his faith was given to him. He was 100 years old when it proved that his faith was in action. He was 100 years old. And what I would encourage you to do is study the Old Testament. God doesn't usually use the young kids when he was doing a lot of what he was doing. When Moses, he waited Moses for a little while. With Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, with Joseph, with Moses. You see, here's the issue. The issue is, can I do something for God or can God do something with me? Because if you are sitting there, and I'm guil- I am Mr. Guilty when it comes to this. If you're sitting there saying, um, I can't do very much for God. What can I actually do for God? What could I possibly do for God? I am tired and I'm weak and I have issues. How can I do anything for God? Then you have established your approach to what can you do for him instead of what is he calling you to do? Because whatever he calls you to do, he'll make sure you can do it. Okay? And you may not feel like you can do it. You may not believe you can do it. You may think it is impossible. That's exactly what Abraham could have said. That is exactly what Moses could have said. That's exactly what every one of these patriarchs could have said. I'm too old. I can't do this. And even Moses argued with God. I can't talk. I'm not the right guy. You picked the wrong person. And God says, no. I'm not picking you because of what you can do. I'm picking you because of what I can do through you as a vessel, an obedient vessel. No matter what issue, challenge, obstacle, the greater the obstacle in your life, the greater the glory God receives. And so your faith, faith is not what can I do for God. Faith is what can I allow God to do through me. What am I obedient in listening to him to do? So what is faith and how is it applied? Faith is repenting of your sin, believing in God, belonging to his family, and then becoming what he wants you to be. It's a process. It's part of your story. But every single day we can get up and we can say, God, I trust you. Whatever you call me to do today is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be faithful to you. I think in every instance, we should always ask God first. God, what do you want me to do this morning? God, how do you want me to deal with this issue? God, how should I think about this problem? God, how should I pursue this? How should I do this? Because what we do is then we are aligning our focus and our heart and our will on God's will and not our own. And then God leads you to his actions. And when God leads you to the actions, that's life. That's the life he wants you to have. That's the life he wants me to have. He's not looking for me to solve all of his problems. He's not looking for me to be his voice, to defend him to the world, to be his champion. He's looking for me to be his obedient servant, to listen to him in obedience and say, Father, your will be done, not mine. Help me to follow that today. Help me to hear your voice clearly. Help me to know that what you're saying is is what I'm hearing so I can do what you're saying. And so he calls us to that. Always ask God first. Application. Get less busy with your plans and more busy with God's. I'm there. God, I'm too busy to do what you're telling me to do right now. I'm too busy. I have too many things, too many things, too many things. And he's saying, no. 
No. It's interesting, Martin Luther, he was, in, he was the main uh, leader of the Reformation. He would pray uh, for two hours a day. He would pray. And he wrote in his journal, he says, I no longer can pray for two hours a day. I don't have the time to do it. Now I need to pray for three hours a day. Because he had, he had an eternal view of things. He had, he had an idea that God, what God can do through prayer is greater than what I can do with my ability. What am I busy with? Am I busy with listening and obeying? Or am I busy with trying to trailblaze my own way and do it what I think is best for me? Number two, and this is a challenge, listen to what God is calling you to do. How often do you hear God speaking to your heart? How often do you hear God speaking to you? What are the types of things that he's saying to you? Have you heard from God? Does he speak to you? Does he reveal himself to you? If so, what do you do with that? When God speaks to you, how do you respond? What do you do? And I would say, an application is, God planted you here at this time, at this place. He wants you to serve him through this body. When I went through all that list of stuff at the beginning of the service, you might have been like, come on, what is all this stuff? Right? The truth is, I'm just looking for where does God want us to serve? What does God want us to be obedient in? What does God want us to be doing as a church? What does God want me doing as a pastor? What does he want you doing as a father, a mother, a grandfather, a grandmother? What does he want us to do? And let's be obedient in doing that. And I believe every one of us in this room, he's called us to serve within the body of this church. In a couple weeks, we're going to have a ministry fair. That's going to give you an opportunity to say, God, how can I serve in the church? What have you given me? What are you asking of me so I can be obedient to you, so I can serve you? This will only work if we're twice born. John 3 says we must be born again. To do that, Romans 10, 9 says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Have you confessed and believed? Has the Holy Spirit come into you? Is there action in your life? If so, then God speaks to you. What is God saying to you this morning? What is God speaking into your heart? What is he revealing to your spirit? What is he motivating you into? What is he telling you to confess? What is he telling you to get rid of in your life so you can add something that he wants in your life? This is to be his children. This is to be part of his family. This is what he calls us to this morning. And so as we come to the table of communion, we are to remind ourselves We're to remind ourselves that we can't have any life whatsoever until Christ was willing to die on the cross, be dead and raised from the grave. And we want to remember that as often as we can because that is our hope. Our hope is in the cross. Our hope is in the resurrection. And so this morning as we come to the cross, I'm going to challenge you. um, I want to declare something out loud, a truth of our heart. And so Ephesians 2.8 I've reworded it so it's from us to God. It's from us a statement that we can say. Ephesians 2 verse 8. I have been saved by grace through faith unto good works. I'd like you to say that. If you believe that this morning, I'd like you to say it with me. As we declare who we are 
and what we're to be doing. And so I'm going to read it one more time. And then I want you to ponder, is this true? I have been saved by grace through faith unto good works. If that is true of you, I want you to say it out loud as we declare this truth before we come to the table of communion. Ephesians 2.8. I have been saved by grace through faith unto good works. And so as we come to the table of communion, we are to be sober-minded. We are to consider these truths. We are to realize that we have been saved by grace through faith.